It is Wednesday, September 1st, 2021, entering the final month of the Major League Baseball regular season. And we say this every show, but there's a lot to get to, especially off the field on this podcast. And of course, we start with the New York Mets. A lot of thumbs up, a lot of thumbs down for the old Mets, mostly thumbs down lately. We'll get to all those headlines. The White Sox. Tim Anderson headed to the DL. We'll see if they can maybe steady their play entering the playoffs. A little bit of Cubs talk, but not much. We don't want to talk about the Cubs lately. The NL West, tightest division in baseball as the Dodgers entering tonight, just a half game back, the New York Giants. In the AL East, the Yankees have cooled off. The Rays still have a commanding lead in the division. Then we'll talk NL wild card as well. Cardinals now sneaking up on the Cincinnati Reds for that second wild card spot. We'll talk a little bit expanded rosters and maybe make some predictions for the playoffs. Lucas, I'm excited. Yeah, we got a little reality podcast here for you tonight. This is the Hit by Pop. Oh! pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith as there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos it will be a home run all right Larry Larson first September edition of the hit by podcast one month left of the season um things are heating up especially in that Mets clubhouse We've got a lot to talk about today I'm excited I'm excited yes. um good week of baseball behind us too Got that MLB TV subscription you were talking about. Been watching baseball 24-7. Dream coming true right now. It's the move, man. It's the move. I think that's probably one of the best moves that Major League Baseball could have made down the stretch. They said, hey, let's just let a bunch of college kids watch baseball for free. Yeah. I mean, seriously, I know we've all been betting on the games this past week. Uh, It's a lot more easy to do that. And I guess you're more willing to do that if you can actually watch the game and you're not blacked out one way or the other. So yeah, it's been fun. Definitely a a nice addition. Yes. And I saw you went to the White Sox game the other night against a, a you picked a good night. So you beat the Pirates. Yeah. I figured $25 seats can't pass that up. You know, you're probably going to see a win and it was fun. Yeah. Actually first time I've sat in the outfield at really any baseball game. I've been to, you know, lots of baseball games over the years, and this is the first time I've had, like, a bleacher seat. So it was pretty cool. Saw Luis Robert make a diving play, like, 20 feet in front of us. Uh, and, of course, everything off the bat there looks like a home run. So it's, like, even in a 4-2 game, it's you get the excitement of a double-digit score. Of course. You know, with the bleacher seats, I've seen a lot of videos this year of fights in the bleachers at the rate. Did you see any fights? No, we were more left-center. I think the left-field bleachers, like – yeah, I guess, yeah, just the, the first set of left field bleachers is kind of notorious for that. That's what I'm thinking. But it's a pretty chillaxed day. Um, you know, some people sitting in the wrong bleachers just because it was an empty house. So everyone uh, sits down as front row as they can to start off until the people who actually paid for those come up. But other than that, it was a nice, uh, nice peaceful night at the ballpark. Peaceful night at the ballpark. Not every day you can say that, especially with the White Sox here. It seems like everybody, like we talked about last episode, everybody's on edge with the White Sox. But I I think we'll get to that here in a little bit. You hinted at it, the headlines, man. It's all New York Mets. Yeah, at least the White Sox keep their fighting uh, outside of the organization itself. Seems like a lot of drama going on in uh, New York. 
starting off with a little booing from the fans. We could say it started off with the fans or it started off with the lack of performance from the players. Fans didn't like that. They boo. They give a thumbs down. Next thing you know, some players don't like that. They think that, you know, you should still go support them, even if they're playing much below their uh, what they should be, you know, and if they're kind of shit in the bed every week, then you should still cheer us on. So Hobby's going to give you the thumbs down right back. And then the Mets front office did not like that. Um, came out, made a statement saying, we're sorry. They, they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't not have okay. Done that. We yeah, love our not fans. Okay, guys. We, we are uh, stand-up citizens. Look towards us, not our players. So while that's going on, Hobby decides to take matters into his own hand win a game for the Mets just from running around the bases like a crazy man, making some magic happen like he's always done. Mets fans love him again. Yeah. What, what, I mean, as okay. Well, I've got a, there's a lot to unpack here. And, and for those who may have missed the headline, Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, Kevin Pillar, number of Mets players started using thumbs down as a celebration after hits, wins, home runs, you name it. And that started in early August. So this thing kind of flew under the radar for a good two, three weeks. Baez hit a home run. He was asked about it post-game. With, it was a very strange post-game press conference. He had his son sitting on his lap the whole time. Yeah. And he said, yeah, the, the thumbs down thing is um, – it kind of references to when the fans boo us when we're not doing very good. And so when we do good, we get to boo the fans back. And I saw that, I forgot what the exact quote was, but it's just so out there. It's not something you hear a professional athlete say very often. You know, booing is, it's kind of part of the deal. You know, you don't hold up your end of the bargain, so to speak. You don't play to the fan standards. You're going to get booed, especially in New York. But it seems as if, you know, maybe a few players in the Mets clubhouse didn't get that drift. And, And frankly, I really don't mind the Mets players maybe poking fun at the fans saying, hey, we don't like getting booed. We'll give you guys a thumbs down. But that's not something you can tell the media. That's not something that can come out. Like, have all the fun you want. Screw around with the fans all you want. But you can't just come out and say that. Yeah, that's like he should have gotten the hint uh, from earlier in the year with the raccoon situation. He should have known and taken the Lindor route and just kind of downplayed it. Like you said, that's that's like a clubhouse thing. If you want to have that, you know, because they give you the thumbs down, that's funny. Like, yeah, get your team pumped up. Like, you know, just keep that as an inside thing. Um, but he should have come out and said, oh, you know, Lindor was telling me I wasn't hitting the ball well, so that was for him or something like that. You know, just kind of that was really shocking to see him come out and just honestly say, yeah, that was because the fans keep booing us. And so we're kind of showing them up. <laughs> takes a lot of personality, a lot of nads to say that, Javi. Well, I I just don't think Javi was used to that because he he played kind of the same way in Chicago, very up and down, kind of rocky. And obviously he had better seasons in Chicago than he's having in New York. He's not really performed great as a New York Met. So I understand why the fans booed him. But I suppose he's just not used to it because Cubs fans just – didn't boo him, I guess. Yeah, he's always a fan favorite there. So I guess even when Javi's, and when Javi's doing bad, it's all right because it's Javi. And then when he's doing great, I mean, fans, fans love their Javi. So yeah, maybe it'll take some warming up. 
I mean, he's got some nice moments for the Mets. Definitely uh, when you look at the like the per, per stats and whatnot, percentages and everything, he's not really performing well. But like I said, he won the game from his base running. Um, basically like a single with an air scored from first. Not many players in the league are going to even take the chance on that. Uh, kind of similar play to Shohei Otani stealing home last night. Just kind of like uh, maybe it wasn't the best play, but they're crazy athletes. Uh, and so they make it happen. It's just kind of how you, you got to win games sometimes. Um, you know, he hit a bomb too, the second deck. And of course the fans are going to love that. It's just what you're going to get with a guy like Javi. And uh, I'm sure maybe next year after some more of those ups, Mets fans will kind of start to soften up with him. Perhaps if he sticks around I, after this, I really don't think yeah, he's going to stick around. Um, but I, I just, it's hard to say. I pulled up the actual quote from Baez. He said, quote, when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So they, the fans, are going to get booed when we get success. It's just like, oh, that's a new way of, of thinking yeah. about it. That sounds like something I would have said to my mom at like after a BYB game. <laughs> Classic. Yes. But then that's not even the last of it. As this morning we wake up seeing that the Mets GM, Zach Scott, gets a DUI after a, a fundraiser at owner Steve Cohen's house. So obviously an awful look for the entire uh, Mets front office um, waiting to see what's going to happen with Zach Scott. We haven't really heard much. I know they saw a tweet. It was like, they took twice as long to say something about this than they did uh, about Javi and his post-game <laughs> conference. Sandy made a comment for the team like two hours after um, Javi made his statement. And then it took him like four or six hours or something after uh, the arrest this morning to even say something and address it. I think they probably made a, a quicker statement for when uh, Mr. Met flipped off a fan <laughs> than this. I mean, every little headline that comes out, I start thinking like, this can't be real. Like the Mets are, are a fake organization made for a reality TV show. I mean, it is a never ending shit show circus. Like, and a lot of it is funny. A lot of it is not very funny. I mean, all, all the stuff that has really happened over the last year with the Mets is largely unacceptable. So you've got this DUI from Zach Scott, the GM, and then the former Mets GM, Jared Porter, the guy harassing women and, and sending, you know, explicit photos unsolicited to reporters. And then before that, you got Mickey Calloway, that whole situation. So... I don't know what it is with that organization. I don't know if it starts at the top. Um, I think it does. I don't know if they need to clean house. I don't know what it is. I, I think Ken Rosenthal wrote a, wrote a column that I haven't read yet, but he's talking about how the Mets just need a, a deep clean, so to speak. And I don't know if all these things are correlated. They very may well be, but nobody's going to take the Mets seriously until they get their shit together. Yeah, I was really interested when – um, the Wilpons, you know, they're selling the team. Everyone's finally excited. Mets fans ecstatic about the fact that their team kind of has like a new window of opportunity and a fresh, a breath, a breath of fresh air. There we go. And, um, you know, Cohen, super rich dude. They're thinking the money's going to get spent. And honestly it has. Um, but all the issues that kind of made the Mets, the Mets, like all the stuff outside of the actual play, their play's still been underperforming, but that's not even their biggest issue, which tells you that that's, it's got to be the Mets. You know, their owners still kind of stirring the pot on social media, not really helping things at all. I mean, I'm sure this would uh, 
kind of be much less of a deal for the players. Maybe if their owner wasn't blasting them after a bad stretch of games, you know? And so it's like, you think that things are going to get better and then it's just a new set of problems. It's a new way to be a Met. Yeah, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. And you mentioned Steve Cohen, just kind of stirring the pot. We've been sending, you know, Steve Cohen tweets back and forth over the last few days since we recorded our last podcast. Cause I think Steve Cohen's kind of the running joke of the hit by podcast now. So when the whole thumbs down thing came out, he tweeted, I miss the days when the biggest controversy was the black jerseys. And then he tweets the next day or two days later, glad to hear our players apologizing to the fans. Let's get behind our players today and go out and win two today. Like, okay, I, I guess. Uh, and then he says, sometimes baseball can be pure joy. I'm so happy for the players. Uh, you know, here's, here's this guy. Yeah. Here's this guy who literally calls the shots. He's trying to play both sides. He's like, well, the booing the fans, that's unacceptable. But I'm happy to see us move past it. Let's all get behind our guys. Yeah. You know, he's he's finding out, again, why other owners just don't go on Twitter. Right. Like, if, you, yeah, if you're going to run a franchise and have a Twitter account, I think the Mets are at the top of the list of the, the teams that you can't have a Twitter account with. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's how you know any tweet's going to be pretty much a mistake and literally every time he tweets i'm like maybe you shouldn't have just said that like you would have been equally if not better off okay with just not pressing send on that tweet and like he definitely uh from when he came in like you know the black jerseys that's a big part of it asking on twitter um mets fans what are things that you want to see definitely playing like the the side of the fans um you know what are things that'll make your experience better as i'm sure a lot of the fans liked that and a owner probably should be doing more things like that that's the good side of Steve Cohen, like trying to be interactive with his fans and take into what they actually want. But I know they don't want DUIs messing up with their teams and headlines. They want better performance. So it's like at a certain point, yeah, it's nice to get what the fans want. I'm sure it'll get more people in. And I'm, I bet their, uh, you know, attendance numbers are probably up um, from 2019. Definitely say they're up from last year. Um but at a certain point, you got to put a, a product on the team. And if you're getting your players riled up and your team's not performing well, what does it really matter if you've got fans coming to see like a new stand at the stadium? If the team's just going to be bad, if the players aren't going to want to resign, if the manager's got this, if the ex manager is doing that, it's just kind of clouding what the Mets could be, which I'm, I mean, I'm sure Mets fans are just kind of tired of that at this point. Well, the bottom line is it goes back to the old adage. Winning solves all. If the Mets won and their players got pissed at the fans and started doing the thumbs down thing and talked about it in a press conference, I'm sure it would be way less big a deal if the Mets were above 500 and if they weren't two games below 500 after they bought at the deadline and went out and got Javier Baez to play with Francisco Lindor and their expectations went through the roof. Um, and I really think that the whole DUI thing, the whole Mickey Calloway situation, the whole Jared Porter thing, as frustrating as it is, and this shouldn't be the case, if the Mets were a winning organization, so many more people would cut the Mets a break. And I'm not saying that's excusable because it's not, but that's just how sports tend to go. You know, you, you see a successful franchise, they're put up on a pedestal, and everything else is kind of swept under the carpet. Um, but the Mets just simply have not been able to get away with that. Um, 
for some cases for better, for some cases, like in my opinion, the Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor thumbs down thing for worse. Yeah, right. It seems like, I mean, the sun just doesn't shine any little chance that the Mets are going to improve, whether it be their front office or they make a move for a player. It's just they come to they come to City Field and just underperform. Their owner messes with the team's mojo. I honestly think that on paper, I still think they're a very talented team and probably the most talented, um, arguably with Atlanta, I'd say, with a healthy Acuna for sure. But other than that, I'd say they're probably the most talented team in that division and on paper should have won. It's just, yeah, like you said, when you underperform, you have high expectations, you think this year is going to be different, and it's just maybe even worse. You know, the 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 performance is just mediocre. You're playing, yeah, less than 500 baseball. Uh, um, paying Lindor, you're so excited about that. He was hurt early on, underperforming early on, and then, you know, once he even starts to turn it around, the rest of the team's just still not there. So, yeah, sucks for Mets fans. It does. I feel bad for him. Before we move on, I, I think, I don't know, I wanted to ask you, so what What do you think about the whole thumbs down booing the fans, quote unquote, thing? Is that acceptable in your eyes? Is Are you a, a guy that says, oh, well, the fans pay the players, so they shouldn't boo them? I don't know. I, I feel, I find myself in the middle. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm okay with booing, like you said, like, you, you, what do you expect? If you're playing piss poor, then you're a professional athlete. That's just kind of the, what's it's harmless. Happen. It's harmless. Right? Yeah, exactly. You're going to go, yeah, go out there the next day and still try your best. It's not like, you, why are you letting the fans booing you, you know, affect your performance. And if you're going out trying to get a base hit just to shut up the fans, like it, it just seems like you could tell that that got more of him than it should have. Um, I don't think that the thumbs down is unacceptable, even if that's what it was, you know, like obviously he came out and said that that's what it was. I don't have a problem with them doing that, but I think he probably should have just kept it to himself. Like it is a bad look at the very least. Um, yeah. I did it really help their, um, their vibe. I guess they won two games in one day and had, you know, a couple nice hobby plays. It didn't really give them much momentum. I wouldn't say, I don't think that they're going to go on a push now after this, but yeah, I just think he shouldn't have said anything. I thought it was a little um, – you're kind of just stirring the pot at that point. Just keep it to yourself. Yeah, that was definitely his first mistake was just saying anything. I, I think there's some things that just need to be left in the clubhouse, left in the locker room. And that kind of sounds old-fashioned, but at the same time, that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. You know, some things should be left between teammates and Javi made a mistake. Yeah, and now yeah. all of a sudden Cubs fans are tweeting, no. Javi, we love you. Javi, we're on your side. <laughs> Javi fucked up, guys. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's the bottom line. I'm sorry. Like, maybe Cubs, sure, Cubs fans would never boo Javi. Well, maybe they would, but very, very rarely. Mm -hmm. And that's because Cubs fans, in my opinion, are a little softer. And New York's just a tougher crowd. And that's just kind of how it goes. And at the end of the day, if you're getting booed, there are far worse things that could happen to you than get booed. Um, I think the Mets broadcasters were talking about it the other day. Booing is is harmless. You know, you could be getting stuff screamed at you that is much worse than booing. I, I think largely booing's a, a fine reaction. So, yeah, it's tough. It's yeah, tough. it's part of being a fan. Yeah, exactly. You just kind of expect that. It's yes. It's weird that it caused such a reaction. And I mean, I'm sure there's like there's probably hundreds of things around the league that people do in reaction to fans or in reaction to you know, like their management, you know, they just kind of give a reaction that we don't notice just because the guy doesn't come out after the game and say, oh, yeah, this is what that was in reference to. 
So it's just weird that it came out for the public to know that that's what that he was doing that because of the fans. Yeah. If if the Mets, if Bishop Sycamore was a Major League Baseball team, it would be the New York Mets. You know, a lot they've got all this so-called talent. You know, they're stacked, and they're they're coming out here and getting shellacked, and it's just kind of a joke. Everything behind yeah. the scenes is a joke. The way the team is run is a joke, and it's a it's a meme. Yeah, right. But but Lindor's the best player in the game is the same as saying, but I have a, a five star recruit. Yes. Same thing. Yes. It's <laughs> tough. It's tough, man. Only uh Bishop Sycamore doesn't have fans. So you gotta feel bad for Mets <laughs> fans. How how That's about true. how about how about a team that has it together? So to speak. Your Chicago White oh. Sox. Oh, baby, don't get me started. Larry, that's a good little intro for my for my hot socks, might I call them. We've been talking about the past few weeks, kind of their tough stretch they had in August. Um, it was about 14 games between uh, the A's, uh, Rays, Blue Jays. Uh, maybe not, I don't know what it was. Well, I think they, they won nice, seven and seven in that stretch. Seven and seven on that stretch, exactly. 500 uh, um, against three good teams, three teams above 500. Uh, I'm not sure if Oakland and uh, Toronto, probably definitely not, but not all playoff teams, but good teams nonetheless. Uh, and we talked about it kind of being a test for the White Sox. I think 500, that's not the worst thing in the world. I talked about maybe not losing two of those series. Uh, we won one, we lost one, we split one. So, of course, that's going to – of course, that was going to be how it goes just because I said something about that. But, yeah, just basically a 500 trip against those teams. Uh, not necessarily a trip. Oakland was a home series. I can't really complain. They didn't shit the bed. They've come back. They've played good baseball since, won a series against the Cubs, and now just took the little two games from the Pirates. They're doing what the White Sox have always done this year, played okay against 500 teams, uh, and then beat the teams that, you know, they should. Yeah, and at the end of the day, good teams beat who they're supposed to beat. And I think the main gripe with everybody except White Sox fans and sometimes White Sox fans this season about the White Sox has been that they're frauds, so to speak. You know, they don't beat good teams. I, I think they're certainly capable of beating good teams. I read an article in The Athletic about the White Sox. Frankly, it didn't really have a punchline. It was just kind of like talking about how the White Sox need to steady their play. Like, they look so, so good. When they are hot, they might be the toughest team to beat in baseball because their lineup top to bottom might be the best in the league. But when they're cold, they look like a young team. They look like a young team and experienced, which largely they are outside of a, a handful of guys, Tim Anderson, Yasmani Grandal, and Jose Abreu. Um, you've got guys like Luis Robert, who has come off the DL absolutely torrid, playing like MVP caliber baseball. So is Jose Abreu. Uh, and then um, Eloy Jimenez playing pretty well. But then – my big concern with the White Sox in this upcoming stretch is Tim Anderson on the DL. I think they made the right move because it's been clear he's been dealing with a nagging injury, but he is the guy. When they're cold, he stays hot. When they're hot, he's the guy who sparks it all. So they need more consistency, and it all starts with Anderson because he's been the guy who's been the most consistent. Yeah, he's the, I mean, he's the face of White Sox baseball right now, and you you nailed it. He's the leadoff hitter. He's the spark of the team. The stats of him doing well in a game and how that translates to the White Sox success 
are just um you know crazy to look at if he scores it's like they're like an 800 uh, winning percentage um he's a great player and yeah it does suck that he's going to be out for a few games but i was kind of relieved when i saw that they were bumping him to the 10 day uh retroactive a few just because they're not hopefully it's just taken care of after this lance lynn kind of a similar situation he's been uh you know cy young caliber probably top three cy young voting right now had a bad start um I don't know if the knee inflammation, which I think it, uh, was what it was for Lance Lynn, had something to do with that. But then they put him on the IL afterwards. Just I think just more to be safe than anything. You know, miss a start, uh, miss a start or two. Uh, Tim obviously going to sit out a few games. We got Luis Robert, like you said, coming to fill that hole at the top of the lineup. He's been playing well. And when Tim comes back, if he's healthy and we have that going forward in the playoffs, then that's um, you know that's probably the most important part. You talk about a team that's so streaky one day, you know, um, 13 runs against the Cubs or 17 or whatever they're putting up that day. And then the next day they get shut out very streaky all year. And like you said, sometimes they just seem like a, a very inexperienced team at the plate, having that number one guy and a consistent, you know, you're going to have Tim Anderson leading you off. He's going to play TA ball. He's not the most, um, a lot of people give him shit because of his BABIP. Uh, they think he's a BABIP warrior, which he is. He just plays crazy above the the line that he should be playing at. But that's what he does. You know, you put the ball in play. That's just the type of player he is. And the White Sox need someone to do that. It's just his style of play is the reason that he gets the team going. The big bats behind him need him to kind of just tell you that that pitcher can be hit that day. And, um, yeah, hopefully, like I said, this is it. And it's not a problem that lingers moving forward. He's not going to tweak it during a game when he comes back. Uh, he missed five games earlier. So I thought, why not just put him on the aisle at that point? But this tells me that they're playing it safe and um, you know, hopefully it's not a worry anymore. I think resting guys up for the playoffs is definitely the correct move. However, obviously if they're injured, if they're not injured, resting guys for the playoffs, I don't think is the right move because you got to get everybody kind of firing on all cylinders. And that's been the issue with the white Sox. It's like, okay, here we are at September 1st. They've got a pretty easy schedule this month. If they cruise right through it, play at 500, I'm not sure I love their position going into the playoffs. They probably won't have home field advantage, and they'll be coming off a easy schedule, not super sharp. Whereas if they get hot, if everybody's playing, if, everybody, if everybody's healthy, you know, maybe they win, I don't know, 75% of the games they play in September, good chance they – play for that home field advantage spot. They're much better at home than they on the than they are on the road this year. Um and they're firing in all cylinders. They get good momentum going. That's a much tougher team to beat than if they're just coming into the playoffs kind of kind of cruising. And I think Tony LaRusse's job right now is to try and find a balance between those two things. Whereas you need to rest guys because you've got that playoff spot essentially locked up. But at the same time you haven't played good against good teams all year. So you need to stay sharp. Yeah, it's definitely, I'm interested to see how the lineups will be. I know he's kind of been given one, one of our best nine, I'd say a day off every game. So I know Vaughn didn't play today. Um, obviously Anderson's out with the injury, but getting some of these guys like Leary back into the swing of things too. He's been playing better. I think that's just as important too. Um, having the whole team clicking. And I think the White Sox, haven't really had their whole team 
clicking against a, um, or having a stretch of bad games like this. Because I think in the earlier half of the year or the earlier part was when they played a weaker schedule. This this past month, this past month was definitely the toughest for them, and um, that was when they were getting their full team back. And they played 500 ball. So I'm interested to see. Hopefully, they can really dominate these bad teams this month. Because I totally agree with you. They haven't had a, a series, an emotional series where it seems like a make or break. They haven't had um, a fight yet. And so I I really want to see them take advantage of being the better team. Uh, if they're healthy, um, I know we got two starters, I guess. Interested to see what's up with Giolito, too. He got pulled from the start yesterday. Yeah. Uh, after fielding the ground ball off the mound. So interested to see what that is. Um, but I think as long as we're healthy, we should. Obviously, it's on paper, win those games. And I, I definitely would be concerned, um, White Sox fans out there, if we go in there playing 500 ball this month against um, non-playoff teams for the most part. Again, been talking a big game about the White Sox. I really hope they back me up. I really hope they back me up. Otherwise, I'm going to have a lot of people telling me about it. So, fingers crossed, man. Yeah. I mean, you – it's like you said it. When they're clicking, they're probably the, the team to beat. You know, their lineup is just as deep as any other team. Their starting rotation super good. Have some of the best on certain nights, some of the best bullpen arms in the game. But – then they just don't always show up every night. And that's definitely what scares you uh, as a White Sox fan. Absolutely. Well, it's better to be a White Sox fan than a Cubs fan, as we've discussed <laughs> a multitude of times. I suppose there's one thing to discuss with the Cubs right now. Patrick Wisdom, he keeps crushing the ball. Frank Schwindel, he's also had a, a nice surprise breakout over the last few weeks. Ian Happ is starting to hit the ball. All encouraging signs for the Cubs – but the big question for me is where do these pieces fit in in the future? And I think Patrick Wisdom is an interesting case. Looking at his numbers right now, possibly rookie of the year caliber, hitting 256, slugging 578, 25 home runs, 50 RBIs. Are those rookie of the year numbers, Lucas Soy? Yeah, I think for him it'll come down to games played. Um, he didn't really start coming into the Cubs rotation until – or their lineups until I want to say May, he was more regular around then. So he missed some time playing, um, but he's approaching uh, KB's rookie record for the Cubs for home runs. He was in the twenties. Uh, Wisdom could pass that. And how impressive is that uh, in the, the limited time that he's had being a starter, you know, he's swung such a good bat. I mean, he torched the white Sox. He's maybe been the best hitter I'd say. Um out of the rookies and it's funny to talk about him as a rookie he's a 30 year old um in his rookie year so yeah i'm interested to see where he'll he'll be in the white Sox or in the cubs future how he'll fit into the team if he's going to be just a one and done type of guy but he's putting up numbers i mean there's no real um runaway rookie of the year in the nl right now uh jonathan india having a good year but it um wisdom definitely has more power numbers a great slugging percentage there I think he'll get some votes. I think he'll get some votes, but again, it's going to come down to, I think just the fact that he wasn't a starter throughout the whole year, like India is playing a little bit better defense over there at second base too. Comparing wisdom to Jonathan India, India has played 122 games, hit 17 home runs, whereas wisdom has played 84 games and hit 25 home runs. So wisdom, a much better power hitter, as you mentioned, but India I think has been a large reason 
as to why the Reds have been so successful. So if I were to pick a rookie of the year, it kind of comes down to the argument where that you hear it a lot for the MVP. Okay. It's called the most valuable player, which team was more valuable to their team. And you get like a Mike Trout every year. Who's a great player, the best player by far on a bad team, a team that won't make the playoffs. And then you've got one of the best players in the league on a good team, so to speak. So like an Aaron judge, for example. So it, it always comes down to that example. And for me, it might come down to that for the rookie of the year between India and wisdom. And I think as a result, I think India would probably get that leg up, at least in my opinion, because he has played a big role in a really good and resurgent Reds team. I don't even know if I'd want to call them really good, but if the season ended today, they'd, they'd make the playoffs. That's the bottom line. I think India has been a, a big part of that. Yeah. He's been a very pleasant surprise for, sort of a pleasant surprise of a team kind of that offense clicks in. I think he's their lead off hitter too. Just the same thing as TA. Like when he's uh when he's clicking a big lead off home run guy, I think he's hit a few of those this year. It's like that offense. That's how you know that that offense is putting up some runs today. Kind of a streaky team as well. Um, similar to the white Sox. Like if they're scoring and if those bats are clicking, then they're in for it. And yeah, I think that's, that's why I would probably give my vote to India as well. Um, playing for a more just competitive team or I guess I wouldn't even say it like that, but just a better team and um, a team that's going to be making a playoff push here towards the end. Uh, Wisdom, yeah, it does just seem like they're kind of meaningless stats, um, which I think, see, I'm always every year I'm saying, you know, Trout, even though they're not making the playoffs and they're not on a good team, he's the best player, he's the best player. But then here I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe Wisdom has put up the better numbers and having the better year just doesn't have as much of the year and the year doesn't mean as much. So um, I think he deserves some votes for sure. He's probably at some points been the best rookie. And if that's what you want to base the, the voting off of, then maybe you could argue he should be the rookie of the year. But I think Jonathan India had the best rookie year, I would say. Yeah. And I was talking MVP a moment ago. Kind of got my mind thinking, who's your NL MVP? I think right now it's kind of a two-horse race between Bryce Harper Fernando Tatis, perhaps. And then maybe yeah. you could also toss Max Muncy in there, I guess. Muncy's really turned it on lately. I don't know. Yeah, that's – um, yeah, I was just thinking about that. Uh, same as you, and those three names came into my head. I think the thing that I have an issue with is Muncy, with Muncy is that he's not – I still don't think of Muncy as the Dodgers' go-to guy. And I think that's probably flawed thinking in my head and why I shouldn't um think of him as a, the most valuable player but he you can't tell me that he's as valuable to the Dodgers as Bryce Harper is to the Phillies like the Phillies would be much worse of a team without Bryce Harper than the Dodgers would be without um Max Muncie and I think Tatis too he had so much value just being a a superstar shortstop that team would really struggle if they didn't have Tatis um I think Bryce has the higher OPS um, yeah, he leads the league in OPS in the National yeah. League or baseball, all of baseball. Correction. Yeah, it's so. it's tough because um, Tatis he's played a lot too. I know he missed some time early on. Seems like everybody did early on in the year, but he's played and he's still performed. He's got what thirty something home runs. I know. 
but that's 36 to lead 36. the National League. So yeah. a brief numbers rundown. Tatis leads the National League in war for position players, five and a half. Offensive war, 6.4. Uh, slugging percentage, home runs. Harper leads the league in on-base plus slugging. In my opinion, that's the number one way to evaluate hitting right now, on-base plus slugging. He leads the league. Tatis is second. So that's pretty much apples to apples right there. Harper is second in slugging. Uh, Harper is tied for ninth in war for position players. Harper is second in offensive war. If it comes down to both offense and defense, I think Harper is your choice because, of course, it goes back to the Tatis leads the league in errors. <laughs> so I don't, know. Fact. I don't know. Yeah, I think after hearing those, I – think I will give it to Tatis, honestly. Highest slugging, uh, probably up there in OPS. I, th- I would agree with you. I think OPS, um, especially more of a surface level stat, that's probably the best way that I use to evaluate hitting and hitting performance. Um, yeah, shortstop, obviously not, not the great. What's that, like negative 0.9 defensive war then? Which, not great. Uh, yeah, not, not good at all. But also, I mean, you said Bryce was uh, top two total war, but only top or top two offensive war, but top nine total war. So, you know, it's not like Bryce's um, platinum glover or anything. So I think I would give that to Tatis. I think he's more valuable. I think maybe they're both in a situation where if their team was a playoff team, for sure, that you would give it to that guy. But this month is going to mean a lot. I mean, it's probably going to be a good race and especially it's not just them too, either. If Muncie goes off and um, just has a substantially better month, you know, 10, 12 homers, maybe takes the lead or pushes Tatis for the lead there, then it's another conversation because it's definitely not like a Shohei and Vlad runaway race. Like the AL has um, doors definitely open for a few guys, but right now I would say Tatis, I think. And I think that he would probably get the votes too. Yeah, because he's sort of the face of baseball right now, yeah. one of the faces of baseball. I think Bryce Harper's time as the face of baseball is kind of faded out because mm-hmm. he plays for the Phillies, who have been kind of mediocre the entire time he's been there. Um, if the Phillies were a little bit better, I think that would be a different story, but it's not. And I think Fernando would be probably the league's MVP in a lot of people's eyes, especially the fans eyes because they watch him and they think, okay, this guy's the most electric player in baseball. So I think he's probably the MVP, Uh, a guy I really kind of wanted to make a run at it was Joey Votto. Uh, I don't think he's going to have the metrics, but he's had quite the season kind of fun to, to see him have a resurgence. Yeah. What I like about this year's um, MVP race in both leagues too, is baseball is always, always kind of a sport where, MVP is isn't necessarily what it is in the other leagues um NBA for example every person who's ever won an MVP award is in the hall of fame that's obviously not true for MLB uh there's a lot of one and done guys who just had a really good year um you know win an MVP and they're not going to be a hall of famer um but that's not always the case this year how lucky is the game to have Shohei, who I'm not ready to chalk up as a Hall of Famer. Tatis, who I'm not ready to chalk up as a Hall of Famer. But I think in you know, 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to look back and say, wow, that was a special year to have those two players performing at MVP level, being healthy enough to uh, perform you know, for a full year and win the MVP. 
I think those, you know, very well could be two Hall of Famers when we look back at it. Um, and right now, this is the year that they're they're in their primes. They're playing better than anyone else. One hundred percent. I agree. I think that's a great take. And just looking at the big picture, a lot of great young talent in baseball, and I think we're fortunate that these guys are all kind of starting the arc of their careers at the same time. So it's got that new generation feel to it while the old generation mm-hmm. is kind of moving out. Uh, speaking of old generation, the Giants are still in first place, but clinging, clinging to that division lead up by just a half game entering tonight. Right now, uh, at the time of this posting, this game will be decided, uh, at least I would hope. Giants are tied with the Brewers right now, 2-2. Two to two. And if they lose and the Dodgers win, all of a sudden the Los Angeles Dodgers are in first place. Yeah, my series to watch is turning out to be something special here for uh, at least the Giants and the Dodgers because they got one more game tomorrow. But so far, the Brewers have been the better team, taking the first two from San Fran. Um, San Fran as well, losing to the Braves that last game of that series. So kind of on a bit of a slip, allowing the Dodgers to play some good baseball and uh, come in and fight for that lead. Yeah, I'm interested to see tomorrow too. Obviously, tonight's the more important one because we could easily see the division lead change for the first time in months. Um, both games bottom or in the seventh inning tied. So that could really go anyway. But yeah, nice to see that my series to watch is turning into something uh, at least important right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's fun to watch important baseball. That's the bottom line. I've been watching a lot of West Coast baseball. I've got the Giants game on right now. I've watched a lot of the Dodgers. I do think that the Dodgers will hold first place. If not tonight, probably by the end of the week. Because the Giants have the tougher schedule than the Dodgers down the stretch. Does that mean that the Giants can't persevere through that and win through that? No. But I do like the Dodgers' chances to really give them a run. I think this this race is going to come down to the wire. We've kind of said that a lot on the podcast. And now it's coming to fruition. Uh, you got the Dodgers who really sold out at the deadline, went all in. It was only a matter of time before they were going to catch up. For the Giants, you know, there's only so much you can do. You know, you're going to have a lull, so to speak. Giants only six and four in their last 10 games. They've lost three straight. In a division race like this, that's enough to slip up and maybe lose that division lead. Yeah, seriously, this one stretch, I mean, playing Atlanta, potential playoff team. Now the Brewers going to be a playoff team. They got, then they go straight away tomorrow or sorry, Friday, starting a series with the Dodgers in San Francisco. So a lot of important baseball for the Giants. Um, You know, Giants fans obviously hoping this isn't where it all falls apart. You always hear about historic uh, collapses come September, uh, playoff pushes. But they're going to have to win against some of these teams because if they lose, shoot, they still have the possibility to get swept by the Brewers if um, they win tonight and then they go in tomorrow just to – salvage uh three to one in that series yeah the Dodgers have all the momentum right now um that series is going to be so important so much fun to watch uh starting Friday uh and very important for the playoffs too because if that's the series that decides home field advantage in the playoffs or whatnot um I mean how crazy would that be we we called it we called it we're just we're baseball savants what do you know and that's Maybe why you listen to the Hit by Podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the time I'm just talking based on 
you know, what I watch. I'm not like looking at the numbers or anything, just kind of yeah. gut feeling, gut feeling that the Dodgers are going to take first place. Looking at the Giants schedule here in September, they've got these last two games against the Brewers, three against the Dodgers, arguably the series of the year there. Uh, then they travel to Colorado for three, travel to Chicago to play the Cubs for three. And then they've got a eight game homestand seven game homestand four against the Padres three against the Braves. Then they traveled San Diego for three travel to Colorado for three and then host Arizona at the end of the month and then wrap up the season against the Padres at home. A lot of games against the Padres. If the Padres get hot, that might be tough. Yeah. Especially when you play in those division games and and every win, you know, is also a loss for your opponent, obviously that lead can erase real quickly. One series, um, you know, obviously can swing things so many different directions. So yeah, that stinks for the giants that they have to do that. Obviously you wish that you're playing some less important games down there. So you maybe have the chance to rest some of your older guys or, or just get some normal pre postseason rest that, you know, you want, but if you're still fighting uh, and if the Padres make that competitive, then that's, you know, just more important series for for the Giants. And just how crazy is it? Just such good baseball coming from that NL West. And this is exactly what you get when you have a good division and more than one good team in that division. I mean, any team, the AL Central is so boring right now, just thinking about the remaining schedule because half of the games just simply don't matter. We are talking um, before this just about some of the next series coming up just sucks that so many of these are just kind of meaningless games where it's just a really good team and a really bad team. And um, I guess not for giants because they have to play the, the best teams. That's yeah. the one, you know, kind of a catch 22 for uh, playing in the best division there. Yes, exactly. I feel like it's more exciting. I don't know which I'd rather have. It's definitely less stressful for white Sox fans than it is for giants fans right now. Yeah. But like you said, the White Sox just haven't had like that make or break series. That's like, okay, I got to sit down and watch this because this is going to change the trajectory of the season. Mm-hmm. Whereas for the Giants and Dodgers, that's this weekend. Giants-Dodgers, yeah. classic rivalry, division on the line. That's going to be awesome, and I can't wait to watch it. Um, there's a point I wanted to make about the White Sox, and I completely forgot it. Um so, yeah, I, I guess we'll move on. But Well, at any point, if you want to talk about the White Sox, we'll circle back to that point. You know, you know I'll always be open to hear what you got to say about those Sox. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. As Let's long as move. it's not the Cubs. Yeah, right. Seriously. Let's move to the AL East, Larry. Yankees kind of cooled off after that uh, big win streak they had. Um, Rays still playing Rays baseball, 9-1 in the last 10, seven games ahead of the Yankees. Even how good the Yankees have been playing, they're still just not making that gap any smaller. It looks like the Rays, um, for now, just running away with that division still. Yeah, it really makes you think how much hype the Yankees get. They had that win streak. I think it was 13 games. Good for them, really. I mean, you deserve a lot of hype, but the Rays, to have that seven-game division lead, even after a 13-game win streak by the second-place team, that's outstanding. That is really hard to believe. Tampa Bay, 9-1 and one, their last 10. They lost their last game. But 
The Yankees now just six and four in their last 10. They went on a little bit of a, a three game losing streak and you would have thought it was the end of the world for Yankees fans after that 13 game win streak. So it shows you how good the Rays have been. And I still think they're the favorite to win that division, but month left, a lot can happen. Uh, good for the Rays, though. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, every year the Rays just, they perform to me, at least it seems like they perform well above what they should. Like on paper, they're a good team. They're in a really good division and they're still just running away with it. Like that's, you know, as a Sox fan, that's what kind of scares me that these teams can play well against such good competition day in and day out. They're going to go into the play, the playoffs, probably having a many series that meant something, a many good series against the team that they're going to play. They have, you know, in division, they're getting playoff experience and they're kicking ass too. I mean, the Yankees, they're a good team. They're a scary team to go up against. And the Rays just make them look like, you know, a far superior team, at least in the standings. Um, so, yeah, I just can't believe that the Rays are always still so good. Just every year performing much better than I give them credit to. And maybe that's just I need to start giving them more credit for their guys and and their coaching down there. But they're still making the trades. Patino pitching well. Patino. Um they're known for, for kind of fleecing other teams on their trades. The Glass Now trade was insane. Um, Baz is actually maybe coming up in September soon. He's got like a 1.8 ERA in September or in August. Um, so interested to see if that second part of the Chris Archer trade comes up now. They just keep chugging along. And yeah, like you said, I don't think uh, New York's going to catch up to them as far as the division lead goes. Again, it is September. A lot of crazy stuff happens in September, but you talk about the Rays kind of outperforming expectations. I'm looking at their baseball reference page right now. How about their top 12 players in war? Number one, Brandon Lowe. <laughs> Number two, Randy Rosarena. You'd expect that. He, rookie of the year candidate in the American League. Joey Wendell, third, 3.1 war. Mike Zanino, fourth. Kevin Kiermeyer, fifth. Andrew Kittridge, sixth. Manuel Margot, seventh. Tyler Glass now, eighth. Wander Franco, ninth. Brett Phillips, tenth. Like, if you toss those names in a baseball lineup, I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe they'll be all right. Like, third place, fourth place yeah. in their division. And they're winning the best division in baseball. Well, I don't know if they're the best division in baseball. Either the NL West or the AL East is the best division, but. They're winning one of the two best divisions in baseball. It's nuts. Yeah. Every other team that's had, you know, even close to the amount of success has that star player that, you know, that's their guy. Every, every team has that, you know, that's just something that you think of. And who is the Rays guy that you, you know, you count on, I guess in the playoffs last year, a Rosa Reina answered that question. So we'll see if he uh, turns into super Randy again this year, but it just seems like everyone on their team plays their part so well. Brett Phillips, such a good clubhouse guy, got some great, uh, you know, late inning moments, playoffs and the regular season. Their pitchers come in and they do their job. You know, Wanda Franco, number one prospect in baseball, super talented infielder. It just seems like everywhere they have the right piece and, um, you know, they click well. They win games in many different ways. Um, Lau, I guess that's kind of surprising, but he's great with the bat. You know, he's um, their definite best power hitter, him and Zanino. Uh, had the most pop for sure. And that's really, 
I don't think anyone else on their team, I wouldn't consider like a power hitter guy. And it's just not something you think of where you look at the Yankees in their division, both playing good baseball. Yankees have a completely different style of lineup, even just, you know, three true outcome guys, home runs, strikeouts, walks. That's about what you're getting with the Yankees, um, generically speaking. And the Rays are just completely different. And yeah, maybe one of them's working more. Yeah. You know, I, I think this is perhaps region bias because I watch a lot more of the White Sox. But if I look at the White Sox lineup top to bottom as a pitcher, I'm I am scared. If I'm looking at the the Rays lineup, uh, Mike Zanino, Yandy Diaz, you mentioned Wander Franco, number one prospect in baseball. Sure. Some of these guys are feared, but it's like, ooh, <laughs> the Rays. But here they are. They've got the the best record in the American League. It's it's really hard to believe. I don't know if that says that the White Sox have underperformed or if the Rays have just overperformed, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, I think it's a bit of both. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, you nailed it. They look like, you know, if you can put up four or five runs, you're probably going to beat them, but that's just not the case. And it's not that easy to just put up four or five runs on their team. Their bullpen is just super talented. Um, just slider city down there in Tampa Bay. And, and when they're on, that's definitely – uh, competing with the Sox at their peak for their uh, top bullpens, I would say. I still think the Sox have one of the best bullpens. I know they've kind of, again, underperformed, but um, I think probably them and Tampa have the top two bullpens going into playoffs, so maybe that's a, a good sign for the Sox, something to compare to the better team. But, yeah, lineups are completely different, like you said, and Tampa just finds a way to put up runs and win games. Kudos. Kudos to the Tampa Bay Rays. Always a likable team, the most likable team in the AL East. They can hang that banner every year. (laughs) When they get bounced by the Sox, we'll send them that as a gift. You were the most likable team. Yes, exactly. In the AL East, at least. Yeah, right, yeah. Yes. How about the St. Louis Cardinals, a team that I've been hearing a lot about in Peoria, a lot of Cardinals fans down here, and for good reason. They're starting to sneak up on the Cincinnati Reds, starting to play their best baseball as of late. I don't know if it's just that the Reds are not that great or if the Cardinals are just finally starting to perform how they're supposed to, but that's going to be a race to watch. St. Louis tonight, two and a half games back of Cincinnati for the second wild card. Yeah, that's definitely something to watch. I mean, Brewers obviously running away with that division. I think far and away the best team in that division. But this second spot in the NL wild cards getting to be a good race. Um, you know, Reds, Padres, and now the Cardinals coming up, all competing for that spot. Um, it just gets more important games out there. Like you said, it's fun to have an exciting race for a playoff spot. Um, every game matters. You know, Cardinals finally getting healthy, I would say. Uh, Flaherty's cut, uh, been back. That's big for them, too, having their ace of their squad. I think that's you know, obviously always going to help out Cardinals. Definitely. I heard them as probably the favorites preseason to win the NL central. And they just kind of didn't get off to as hot of a start or really didn't perform great um, to start the year and just kind of been riding behind the Brewers since. Um, So now it's nice to see that, you know, they're performing like they should. They've got a great corner infielders, Aaron Otto Goldschmidt, probably the best corner infield in the game. Um, Good pitching. And then, of course, that's what it's going to come down to if this is going to be a legit push at that spot. Absolutely. The Cardinals, I think, have been probably the most disappointing team in baseball this year, all things considered. You know, they go out and get Nolan and Arenado, 
and a, a few other pieces, and they just don't perform in a division that was extremely winnable. And it would be the most Cardinals thing ever to sneak into the playoffs, get into that wild card game, go to Los Angeles or San Francisco, beat one of the West Coast teams in a game that's like three to one. Yadier Molina hits a home run or something, and then they go on a run and win the World Series. I, I would not be surprised in the least if that happened because we've seen it before. That's yeah. just kind of what the Cardinals do. It's a little Larusa esque yeah. But, yeah, they probably have, I would agree with you, been the most disappointing. Like, I thought that was going to be much more competitive race between them and the Brewers heading into it, and you just didn't hear much about them especially after Flaherty got hurt. I really like him. I think he's one of the better pitchers in the game, certainly in the NL. Him getting hurt, he hasn't been great since he came back, but that's a good team. And just to kind of have them out of the equation for the most for most of the season just sucks because that NL Central needed, like you said, very winnable. That was perfect for um, St. Louis to have their good year like we kind of expected. Like you said, made the trade for Arenado, making a move at this winnable division, um, and just didn't play good enough baseball to do that. It's kind of sad. Um, but now we're in a situation yeah, it's a where shame. you know, I really feel bad. Around. Yeah. Right. Dude. I just really wish the Cardinals were better. No, yeah. not yeah. actually, but no. I just wish there was more of a race and it's kind of turning out to be that way. I guess maybe it's, it's better this way. We have more drama in our reality podcast tonight. The, the Cardinals are being added to the mix just to stir things up next week. On the Hit By Podcast, do the Reds hang on? Or do the surprise <laughs> Cardinals from St. Louis sneak up on Cincinnati and boot them off the island? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, though. I don't know. There, there's Every September, there's rich headlines, rich storylines to watch. And one of those storylines that is not exactly rich is expanded rosters. Expanded rosters is a little bit different this year, Lucas, going down from – 40 players to 28 players. Thoughts on that? Well, my first thought is why? Is that like wow. a is that like a, is that like a covid thing? Is that it just seems unnecessary. Yeah, just you I don't know. I like the I like when September comes then you're going to see the names of guys that you didn't think you'd see. You know, September call-ups always a thing. Um it's an opportunity to see some talent that you know, you're looking forward to next year more than this year. Maybe you're in a situation where you're out of the playoffs. You want to see three or four guys that, you know, are out there to get better, um, aren't necessarily the best player right now, but you'd like them to get that major league experience because you know that they're going to be on the team next year. And so I think that takes a little bit away of it, a little bit of that away. If I can speak. And um, yeah, just why? I, don't, I guess I just don't know the reasoning behind that, but um, I guess disappointing to say the least. Yeah, I think maybe I should have done the research on this beforehand. I would imagine it was a COVID thing. I, I think this is probably something that is left over from last season's shortened season. You know, mm-hmm. reduced expanded rosters or rosters expanded to carry a few extra guys just in case COVID or something. I would think it's probably a COVID thing. I mean, carrying 40 dudes everywhere logistically, yeah. it's probably not the easiest thing in the world to do. Uh, in the midst of a pandemic. Um, however, as you mentioned, it makes the stories a lot less interesting, especially for a team like the Cubs, 
I mean, the, sure, the Cubs have had a lot of these guys just fill in and, and play roles throughout the season, but journeymen minor leaguers who get their chance at the major leagues, maybe their only cup of coffee in the big leagues is in that September call-up period. You get the top prospect who maybe gets a few extra at-bats. I think we'll still probably see that, especially maybe with the Royals. Their their farm system is stacked, if you ask me. Probably the best in baseball in terms of just pure talent they've got waiting in AAA. But it's just less opportunity for guys. And I think baseball is kind of moving in that direction. The draft is reduced. Minor league baseball has been reduced. Just less players in the system which is a good and bad thing. Uh, however, mm-hmm. I would like to see a little bit bigger expanded rosters again. Well, that's 40 or 35 or 34 or something like that. I think that would be a, a little bit better, especially for the Cubs. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess the only only thing I'm thinking of as a Sox fan is they would have given me maybe a chance to break out that Yerman Mercedes jersey that my boy San Marco ordered in May. And then it actually shipped the day that Yearman retired. So uh, he just Ooh. gave it to me for more of a wall decoration. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, like the Royals, like you said, they have a stacked farm system. I would love to see Bobby Witt go hit three solo bombs against the Sox in a loss. Um, but it just seems kind of, uh, you know, counterproductive. I don't know. But whatever. I'm sure it is a COVID thing, like you said. Um just kind of something that's more of annoying as a fan than anything. Yeah. It's frustrating. You know, I've been watching the, I follow the Omaha storm chasers broadcaster on Twitter, triple a affiliate of Kansas city. So it's endless Bobby Witt jr. Highlights. Yeah. <laughs> and and it is, he's, he's electric. Yeah. Those guys they've got down there are electric and the Royals could sure use a little bit of spark. Yeah, seriously. Why? Yeah, give your your fans something to see. Sell some tickets. I know if I was a Royals fan and I hadn't made it out, and they're calling up Bobby Witt, I'd want to go see Bobby Witt's first first game. Like, if you really keep up with your team's your team's baseball, like this could be what you look forward to the most is seeing you know the little diamond in the rough of your team for that year. I mean, you know, me and me and JB actually we're just talking about it. I went to Yohan Moncada's first game, and when you know the Sox weren't competing, um, they did win the game, but. You know, it's just nice to see a guy that you look forward to as a fan. You when your your players aren't very good and you know they're not going to be very good next year, you look towards the next guy. You look to the next guy that you can root for, and um, seems like maybe it's just taking away some of those opportunities uh, for the fans as well as the players. Yeah, and another great story with Bobby Witt and Nick Prado is they've been like roommates throughout the minors. Uh, they weren't drafted the same year, but they're super close friends and Bobby Witt's the number one prospect for the Royals and Nick Prado's the number three prospect. These guys have just been tearing up the minor leagues. And so I'm looking at the, the Royals top prospect list right now. Their top four prospects are expected to arrive next year, 2022. And their top six are all expected to arrive in the next two years. So you got Bobby Witt jr. Asa Lacey, left-handed pitcher, Nick Prado, MJ Melendez, the catcher, Jackson Cower, right-handed pitcher, and Kyle Esbell, outfielder. The Royals might be better sooner than people realize. Yeah, no, they do have, especially that top end, um, Asa and and Bobby Witt, I think those guys are really going to be good. Uh, Lacey's going to be that 
that number one lefty for them. Um, big dude too. Unfortunately, as a White Sox fan, we'll see him more often than I like. It's I think he's going to be like uh, the Granky for the the Royals, maybe not Cy Young type. That'd be a bit bold to say, but just that kind of guy that you don't want to see on the lineup card when you're facing them. Bobby Witt, of course, just one of the most talented guys I've seen since I've been kind of paying attention to you know the pipeline and and prospects as a baseball fan. Super talented, going to be one of the best shortstops in the in the MLB. But um, yeah, like you said, they're coming up quick. Same with the Tigers. And I think the Tigers might be better suited for a quick turnaround because not only are they having the better year this year, I think they have the better manager. Um, maybe a little deeper pitching prospect-wise with Tariq Skubal and Casey Mize. Um, and then they have some great talent too. Riley Green in the outfield, um, one of the top prospects in baseball. He's going to be great. I think they'll probably be spenders quicker than Kansas City will. I think maybe a year ahead of Kansas City. But, yeah, nice to think of the, the fact that the NL Central might be competitive soon here. Yeah. Or AL Central. NL Central's sometimes competitive. Depends yeah. on the day, right? <laughs> Spencer Torkelson, man. Can't wait to see him in the big leagues. Yeah, He's seriously. another dude that you always see on, like, MILB pages. Right. Just absolutely tearing it up. Future's bright for baseball. But – Back back to the small picture, so to speak. How about we do a little predictions? Love it. So I was thinking, Major League Baseball posted some stuff on their Instagram story. I don't know if you saw this. September Baseball is here. Give us your predictions. Let's do that. Just go based on their Instagram story. So the first one, NL right West. Who you got? San Francisco or Los Angeles? Yeah, I think... I think I'm going to have to go with you here. You talked about it earlier. I think the Dodgers are just kind of the team that we've all said they're going to end up winning it. They're going to take it over. Um, we're seeing it happen possibly right now, um, possibly literally right now, seeing as the two games are going on. But, yeah, I think that's going to be uh, the Dodgers division uh, by the time the postseason starts. Still going to be a close game. I don't think the Giants are going away uh, by any means. They're just kind of, uh, unfortunately, the victim of the Dodgers going all out to try and go back and back, back to back here. Yeah, I think I've got the Dodgers as well. Obviously, the Giants are going to be a playoff team, but I don't know. The, the tide is starting to turn in favor of L.A. And El Central, easy prediction here. Brewers have a 10-game lead on the Reds. Will the Reds close the gap? Yeah, that's just a little unrealistic for them at this point. I think – we talked about them just kind of not really doing much at the trade deadline. This team's just not set up to make a, a run at the division. They don't have the pitching. They don't have the bullpen. Um, and yeah, those are all things that Milwaukee does have. So I think that they're, they're set up well to hold that lead uh, and honestly grow that lead. Cincinnati fans maybe look more towards that second wild card. That's definitely the race you guys should be concerned with. Uh, Cause I think the division's uh, pretty much in Milwaukee's hands at this point. I, I think the Reds fans, like we talked about last episode, I think they just kind of know they're not good enough to win the central. I don't even think that the fans think they're good enough to make the playoffs. So they're, they've kind of given up. I think the Brewers are definitely a sleeper team, sleeper world series contender, honestly, if they just keep hitting the way they are, and if Yelich kind of starts to heat up again, um, like you said, that bullpen so valuable for Milwaukee, Josh Hader kind of leading the charge and at least You've got the Braves leading the Phillies by two and a half, and the Mets are five and a half back. Who we got? Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say 
maybe a little bold here. I think the Phillies are going to make that push, and I think they're going to take the lead from the Braves. I think um, what's making me say that, honestly, is Bryce Harper. I think he's going to listen to this podcast, hear that I was giving him shit about being number two for the MVP, and he's just going to continue to carry that team. Two and a half games is not a lot. I think Atlanta's a good team. Not having Acuna sucks. I think, obviously, if they had Acuna, they'd be the far and away favorites, and I'm sure they probably are still the favorites at this point. But I think Bryce is going to carry that team. I mean, he's just been playing so well lately. I think he's a... He's that star that a team needs. He's that spark. He's that carrier. He does everything that, you know, Jose Abreu and Tim Anderson do for the White Sox. I think he's that guy, um, and that's the type of guy you need uh, if you're going to make a push. Maybe Atlanta just doesn't have that guy right now. Obviously, their superstars out for the year, and uh, when it gets down to the the nutters and the butters, I think it's going to be Philly. Great use of uh, nutters and butters there. Interesting. So. Um, Bryce Harper, man, he's electric. And shout out to Bryce if you know he's listening to this show for motivation. <laughs> uh, we're still looking for our first guest, by the way. So Bryce hit that line. DM's open. It's a good start. Um, but I've got Atlanta, so more motivation for Bryce Harper. Um, I think the Braves, they bought at the deadline and they were smart about it. We've talked about it a few times. They filled needs that they needed to get filled. Uh, and Adam Duvall has been absolutely electric. It doesn't matter who the guy is as long as they produce. And the Braves have kind of a ragtag bunch of dudes who are just doing their jobs. Jack Peterson hitting pretty well. Jorge Soler knocking the ball around the yard. The Braves' deadline moves have just all paid off. And I like their chances. I think Philly – they're shaky at best, and the Mets, they don't have a shot. They're they are done. Yeah, I agree. You can probably just uh, write the Mets off at this point. They're not even a 500 team. And at least not the most competitive. They're all kind of hovering around that, honestly. But I don't know. I just think uh, Atlanta doesn't have that guy. They're going to they're gonna struggle, and they're not going to have that guy that uh, bounces back. Maybe you think it's they have a combination. They have multiple guys. They had a great trade deadline, uh, which they did. Not going to deny that. Uh, I don't know. I just, I'm feeling Philly. I'm feeling Philly. Gut here. prediction. I like it. I like it. All right. Last but not least, an L wild card. You got the Dodgers 13 and a half games up on Cincinnati and San Diego, who entered today's action tied. Yeah. I think um, Dodgers going to get that first, or Giants rather, going to get that first spot. We talked about the Dodgers probably taking the lead. Um, in the month of September for the NL West. So I have the Giants taking that first wild card spot. Um, coming up, I think it's going to be the Reds. I think they're a fraudulent team. They're not, you know, what we think of as as a playoff team. They're not like um, uh, a real contender. But I think that, you know, we've <laughs> talked about the strength of schedule. We've talked about San Diego having the opposite of that. I think, you know, it's going to be one of those where we just have a substantial gap between the 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 top wild card and then that last spot. A lot of qualifiers there for you. The, the Reds, they're frauds, but they're a playoff team. I like, I like where your frauds. head's at. You, if you have no cred, then you can't be a fraud. You're just nothing. Exactly. The, the Reds don't, don't have playoffs. any cred. They're just kind of... Just kind of chilling. 
Well, they'll they'll get the cred when they make the playoffs. You can't be a fraud if you're just hovering around and don't even make the playoffs. You're fraudulent at what? At being good? You're not even good. That's why I think they're frauds. I, I just don't think the Reds are good. I think they hit very well. Their pitching is is not good at all. And for that reason, I'm out on the Cincinnati Reds. I've been out on the Cincinnati Reds. Um, I've got San Diego Padres hanging on to that wild card spot. They're starting to heat up. As we mentioned earlier in the show, they're playing the Giants a lot. If the Padres just get the Giants number and take, mm, say, seven of those 12 games they play against San Francisco, I think that's enough to get them in that wild card spot. And then they play San Francisco in the wild card. And you get three playoff teams out of the NL West, which was kind of the expectation going into the season, right? Yeah. Yeah, on paper, I think you're right, but I think it's going to be a little harder um, to win seven of those 12 games against against the Giants than it seems like because you can't discredit them. I mean, they've been the consensus best team in the league for, oh, mo- for the most part of the year, you know, so that's going to be tough for them. But I think if you that's what's there, that's what they're going to have to do in order to get that wild card spot just because of strength of schedule. I mean, even if they're the better team, they're playing against the much better team than the Reds are. So, yeah, they're going to have to to play just about like that. Seven out of 12 uh, would do it, I think. Um, I'm just not thinking that that's going to happen. Fair enough. It is a big if, and we're talking frauds. Uh, Padres. We're talking frauds, yeah. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe a fraud a little bit. <laughs> Fernando Tatis leads the league in errors. He's a fraud. Fraud, dude. Sucks. <laughs> <laughs> he's, not a real, he's not a real player. No, not an MVP caliber guy at all. Um, trying to think. So here's the thing. If, if Philly sneaks into that conversation, if Philly wins the division, maybe the Braves contend for that second wild card spot or the Cardinals. I, I just don't think that, I think frankly, the Cardinals are better than the Reds. If the Cardinals rotation gets hot, I like their chances at winning that wild card spot a little bit better than Cincinnati's. I think I would prefer that. I'd prefer the Cardinals to make it just cause I think that they have a better shot at, um, like moving forward, I think I totally agree with what you were saying and how Cardinals of them would it be to just kind of sneak in after being irrelevant for most of the year and go on some sort of run. Um, I think that'd be great. Um, yeah, I just think it all depends. And I, I think it'd be hard to see a situation in the NL East where um, Atlanta struggles enough to lose the lead in the division, but not struggle enough to perform better than both Cincinnati and um, San Diego. But the Phillies, um, you know, make that make that push and take that lead, then you're absolutely right. That's another development to our story here in uh, reality podcasting. Reality podcasting, what what a turn! That's what you what guys you came here for tonight. Yeah, of course. There's there's lots of stories to be told in baseball this week. Last but not least, second to last segment, I would say. How about a little this week in baseball history? My favorite. I think last week we had a crazy segment. This week is even a little little bit crazier. Crazier than dropping baseballs wow. off the top of the Washington Monument. So, I stumbled across this on the timeline. Dave Bresnahan, a Cleveland minor leaguer, used a skinned potato to try and pick off a runner. This week in 1987. So 
Here's what happened. Bresnahan, kind of a, a fringe guy, backup catcher on Cleveland's single A team, I believe. Okay. And he would spend a lot of time sitting in the bullpen, warming up pitchers as the backup catcher. Sitting out in the bullpen, he took a potato and messed around with it and skinned it up to make it look like a baseball. He even painted the stitches on there and everything. <laughs> and he decided before the season was over, he wanted to try and pull off a hidden ball trick where he would throw a potato down to third base and try and backpick a guy and throw the baseball away <laughs> when in all reality – he would keep the actual baseball in his glove the whole time. So in order to set up this prank, he called a major league umpire and said, if this happened in one of your games, what would you do? And that umpire said he would simply send the runner on third base back to third base. So Mr. Bresnahan here, he's thinking, okay, I've got a shot at this. So in a game, late August, runner on third base, two outs. He calls time, tells the umpire there's something wrong with the stitching on his catcher's mitt. Goes into the dugout, gets a new glove, which has the potato in the glove. <laughs> he's walking in there. His teammates are laughing their asses off. And so he has to you know, tell him to shut up and everything. Goes back into the game. The next pitch, he catches the ball, chucks the ball down to third, chucks the potato down to third base. Air mails the third baseman on purpose. The runner fell for it. He started running home. Bresnahan had the baseball in his glove, <laughs> tagged out the runner, and started walking off the field because all his teammates that were in ridiculous. on the joke. They were encouraging him to be in on yeah. the joke. But then none of his teammates moved. They're all just kind of looking at him funny. He's like, what? He threw the potato down to third base. It th flew over the third baseman's head and broke into five pieces. <laughs> and so nobody except the runner fell for it. So what did the umpire do? He awarded the runner home plate. Yeah. So he went against what the major league umpire would have done. And the experiment failed miserably. And as a result, Dave Bresnahan was released by the Cleveland Indians. Dude, that is hilarious. Imagine imagine that happening on a Tony La Russa team right now. Imagine if Yerman Mercedes threw a potato down in the middle <laughs> of a game. I think La Russa probably would have died. He probably would have had a heart attack and died. I just can't, believe, just... That back, I can't believe back then they didn't have a foreign spudstance check. The good one, I was Lucas. waiting for that one. Nice. I was waiting for that one since <laughs> he started talking about it. Oh, man. <laughs> dug deep for that one. Oh that's, yeah, <laughs> that's that's peak minor league baseball though. That's yeah. What seriously. other what other sport would that happen in? <laughs> I, like think about it. Soccer. Somebody to Savannah get a, bananas. Chuck a potato. Well, Savannah bananas. <laughs> it's very Savannah bananas for sure. Yeah. Um, football. Nobody's gonna bring a foot a fake football onto the field. Like right. baseball, I feel like the rules are just. It's an interesting enough game where crazy shit like that can happen every once in a while. And I love it. Not at the major league level, but in, in the minor leagues, you know, you get some interesting stuff. Yeah. Only equivalent I can think of that. We, um, I did a golf outing with Sam and Paul Arco's go nuts golf outing and someone decided to go around and uh, toss marshmallows 
around the, the golf course. So you think every marshmallow is your ball. That's the only time I can think of food being used to, oh. to look like a, an actual athletic ball or something like that. But that is so funny. I cannot even imagine something like that happening in today's game. I mean, he, he put a lot of effort into that. Even painted yeah, the right. stitches onto the potato. That's, that's pretty good. He did fool the runner. So Dave Bresnahan was, was pretty successful in that at least he tricked the runner. That's a win for, yeah. He's, the, he's chalking that up as a win. He got released, he got fired, but he tricked the runner, and that's all that mattered. Yeah, I mean, he was a below 200 hitter in the minor leagues, and at least he's got one hell of a story to tell the grandkids. Oh, yeah, that was, yeah, he needed to do that. That was peak for him. That's that's a career highlight. That's a career yeah. highlight. <laughs> like Bob Euchre, I saw a Bob Euchre quote on Twitter. He said, I had two career highlights. One of them was getting intentionally walked against Sandy Koufax, and the other was getting out of a rundown against the Mets. I think <laughs> Dave Bresnahan is a little bit better of a career highlight list than Bob Uecker. Yeah, I threw a potato and fooled a runner on third base in a game. Yeah, not many people can say they did that. And I guess there's a reason we're talking about him. So maybe, yes. maybe more people need to go out and pull out some potatoes out of their ass. Yeah. Shout out Dave Bresnahan. We'll, we'll have to track him down. Maybe he'll be our first guest. <laughs> Get a follow-up interview. Yeah, there we <laughs> yes, go. Yes, yes. All right, last segment, series to watch. Lucas, I, I think there's an obvious one here, but I'll I'll let you go first. Yeah, obvious one definitely would be, I think you're referring to the Dodgers and Giants. Going to take a look at another potential playoff matchup uh, out West. Looking at the Astros-Padres, two good teams. Uh, two, themes, two teams that I think maybe just don't get talked about enough. Um, NLS, obviously there are the two better teams than the Padres. Not not to say that they don't get talked about or anything. They're a very good team. They have very talented players like Tatis, um, just kind of been underperforming. And if they do get into the playoffs, I think that is still a very dangerous team. I think they're a fun team. They're one of those teams that you can never count them out of um, any game that they're in. You know, slam Diego down there. They're a fun team, and they kind of have that playoff. Every game is a playoff game uh, type feel to them. Uh, then the Astros, there's a few AL powerhouses that we talk about. Mainly, I'd say the Yankees and the White Sox and the Rays, but we don't really ever talk about the Astros. I think they've got a lot of playoff uh, experience. They're going to win that, that division in the West, uh, I'm assuming. Good manager in Dusty Baker, good players. Uh, can't, can't, can't count them out either, uh, and it'll be interesting to see how they match up against San Diego. I definitely agree. Outside of that Dodgers-Giants series, that's definitely the series to watch. An interleague matchup, a little flair to it. A lot of exciting players on both sides. And it's in San Diego. So, of course, the Astros are going to get booed just like everywhere else. Yeah. Good Good thing the Astros can handle booze because if they couldn't, <laughs> I don't know what, what would happen to those guys. But probably not. Hobby. Yes, exactly. Probably not anything good. Dodgers-Giants, I mean, probably the series of the year, right? I mean, this NL West race has culminated first week of September last regular season series between those two opponents. It's a huge deal. It's going to be Sunday night baseball, the whole nine yards. I am fired up to watch those games. Yeah. This is that playoff type series that we talk about where these games, every inning is going to matter. Every pitching change is going to mean something um, Two of the best teams in baseball. And as a baseball fan, yeah, like you said, Sunday night baseball, this is like, 
the peak of the season right now if you're if you're watching um for just good baseball you know and yeah definitely playoff implications obviously both of the two top teams in that nl west maybe we see the division league go back and forth just in that series alone um yeah it's kind of a shame that it's the last time they play maybe wish they had one more series in uh later on in the month but better be watching because i'm sure we'll see some some memorable things happen yeah gotta savor it maybe they'll play each other in the playoffs honestly i mean it's the two best teams in the national league right there and one of them is gonna have to play in a one-game playoff to decide their fate that kind of sucks but it's it's kind of neat kind of love it and also this is the last weekend that major league baseball doesn't have to compete with the nfl on sunday night oh that's true makes me sad summer's over summer's over man officially now that yeah got our fantasy football drafts in so that's how i know it's officially over when i'm sitting in class looking at my fantasy team and not looking at uh things that i should be listening to yeah you know football's in the air i saw that trend on on twitter a lot today september 1st kind of start to feel that fall air yeah through not just football air but playoff baseball air yeah i'm excited man Bears obviously get me a little excited being a Chicago guy, but the playoffs, I mean, I see the Bears play every year. I don't get to see White Sox playoff baseball every year. So definitely will be investing all of my emotional energy as a fan into these White Sox, especially with Justin Fields not even out on the field. I got I got plenty of stars that I can watch. I don't want to see the one guy that I want to succeed on the bench. So I'm still, still got the heart for the Sox, uh, hopefully deep into October. Absolutely. I'm right there with you. Hopefully we can get some tickets. Hey, yeah, put on the company go. card. Hey, Will, uh, <laughs> look into that for us, will you? <laughs> we got to have some sort of stipend. Yes, yes. He'll he'll get on it, I'm sure. You better. I think that's a great place to leave it. Yes, yeah, just us making a date. We're going to go watch some uh, White Sox baseball together. Hope you guys yeah. enjoyed episode five of the Hit Bob podcast. Larry, this was a lot of fun. Always, always is. is, man. It always is. Shout out to the New York Mets. Yeah, got to dabble Bishop into some more of Major League Baseball. <laughs> we're uh, we're getting into the entertainment industry at this point. Truly into reality podcasting. Hope we got all of the emotions out of you today. That's we're what tr- today we're for. trying, man. We're trying. <laughs> I mean, what are we at? We're probably at like an hour twenty, hour fifteen minutes. Honestly, I lose track of time a good sign it means we're getting emotionally invested as i hope you guys did too we hope you guys enjoyed episode five of the hip hop pod i pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith because there's a drive in a deep left field by castellanos it will be a home run